Good morning, church. Let's begin in prayer as we open uh, our time in the Word this morning. God, that's our prayer that we've just sang to you, that uh, your kingdom would would reign. You've announced your kingdom on planet Earth through Jesus. We know that it's here, and yet it's not fully here yet. God, there's so much discord and so much trouble, so much sickness that we still deal with and turmoil. So God, our prayer is, as we become your people, as we're called on your mission, God, that we would see the gates of hell destroyed, God, as your kingdom advances on planet Earth. God, we want to be a part of that. We don't want to miss out on this opportunity. So God, I pray this morning you would give us a renewed uh, encouragement to be a part of that, to have an urgency about the message that we share with others, to have a fervency about the prayers that we pray on behalf of our loved ones, God, who have not yet committed to the same kingdom that we are part of. And our prayer is that we would uh, see that revival happen, God. I pray this morning, Lord, that in that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and we might be a people who are sent again on mission into your world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I have two goals for this message that I just want to share with you at the, uh, the start of the message. One of these is a little harder than the other. The first goal is I want you to walk out with more sympathy for the rich young ruler than you woke up with this morning. That's the harder one. The easier one is I want you to give generously next week to our missions offering. And I say that's an easier one because I've seen the generosity that you have shown in your own lives, and this opportunity is an opportunity that many of you wait for each year, excited to, uh, to give of, of the funds that you've saved up for the sake of mission across the world. And we'll tell another story this morning about another one of our works that we're involved in a little bit later in our service. But uh, those are the goals this morning. So I want to start with goal number one about your sympathy for the rich young ruler. So open with me, if you would, to uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. I want to read this story to you. Uh, This story shows up in three of the Gospels, but I've chosen this one this morning. uh, Verse 17 in Mark 10. Let me begin to read. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, often when we talk about this story, we refer to this character as the rich young ruler. But it takes actually all three accounts to fill in all of the details because Mark never refers to him as young or a ruler, if you read closely in the story, as we just read. It's in the Gospel of Matthew that we find out that he's young. It's in the Gospel of Luke that he's referred to as a ruler. All three of us let us know that he has 
great wealth. So we often refer to him uh, in the harmony of these gospels as a rich young ruler. Now, here's a question for you this morning. How many of you would have loved to have had your name included in the Bible when it was written at the time? I mean, just imagine what that would be like, right? All these characters, you find your name in there, you find your story there. This guy makes it into the Bible, which is pretty cool, right? A dream we might all have. But I'm sure when he opens up the Bible and he sees it read, or maybe after his death, maybe hears about all this, he's a little frustrated by how he's referred to. He's referred to by three attributes. His name never makes it in. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. Now, let's be real. A lot of us would be love to be described by those three attributes, right? I mean, rich, young, powerful. What more could you want? But when someone else is introduced to us by those three uh, attributes, we're more prone to feel jealousy than sympathy, aren't we? So reason number one that I think we ought to be sympathetic toward this rich young ruler is that we're introduced to this guy by three attributes that don't increase our sympathy level for him. He needs to start there. And it doesn't matter what happens in the story. Because he is rich, young, and powerful, we're probably not going to take his side. I mean, how many of you would be sympathetic if you look on social media and Prince Harry is complaining about the awful day he's had, right? Not a chance. Sympathy's not the first emotion that we feel for the rich, for the young, or for the powerful. There are more reasons for sympathy with this rich, young ruler. So number two, the second reason for sympathy Not only are we introduced to this rich young ruler by three attributes that don't lead us to sympathy, we're also introduced to this rich young ruler on the worst day of his life with the worst decision he's ever made. Again, not how you want to show up in the Bible. Imagine what that would be like, right? You open the scriptures, you find out that you're in there, and it's your worst day, your worst decision you ever made. That is what's going to make it for all of time. There's going to be people in Allen, Texas, over 2,000 years later, they're going to be reading about your story in this awful moment. You were introduced to this guy in Mark 10, and you were told his name was Tony, and then he grew up in a broken home where he'd experienced abuse. Then you might have sympathy. Isn't it that way in our lives, right? We see people at their worst, and we make these judgments about who they are, not knowing all the time the backstory, not knowing uh, how to humanize these people. In fact, just this week, I was at an event here in Dallas where Sue Klebold told the story of her son, Dylan who would commit a suicide at Columbine High School. But it wasn't just suicide, was it? He took the lives of many that day. When I was in Colorado, I was just down the road, our church from Columbine High School. And as I heard her tell the story of her son and all that had happened, I, I, all of a sudden there was a humanization that was taken on that we don't like to give to people who are in their worst moments. We tend to judge people by their worst actions, but we judge ourselves by our best of intentions. And I have to wonder about this rich young ruler. What would the backstory have been? What happened to him as a child growing up? How did he come to his wealth and rulership? See, the deck is stacked against this guy by just the attributes we read about and by the moment that we read in Scripture. Now, there are more reasons to have sympathy for this guy. I'll come back to those in just a a moment. But I want to first share with you a secret rule that we agree to when we go to seminary that none of y'all know about. But it's a rule I intend to keep this morning. And, And the rule is this. You never critique Jesus. I think that's a good rule not to break. So this morning, I'm not critiquing Jesus. I'm just offering Jesus a suggestion. 
he could be a little bit more generous to this guy who comes to him. You just look at the things he says in response to this guy. Is it okay if I refer the rest of the service to this guy as Tony? Is that okay? Just, I don't, Rich Young Wheeler's long and it doesn't, he needs a name. So I'm going to call him Tony the rest of the service, okay? Tony says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that sounds like something any of us would have said to Jesus, right? You start with a good way of describing the man that you want to ask a question of, good teacher, and, and you respond with the question that's the driving question of your life and your heart. How many of you wanted to ask Jesus this question if you had the chance? Jesus, just make it as clear as you can. What do I have to do to make sure that I'm with you eternally in heaven forever? How do I ensure that I have the riches of eternal life? And before Jesus even gets to answering Tony's question, his response is, why do you call me good? Which... At least Jesus, of all people, can be called good teacher, right? I mean, this is God in the flesh, so his response is only call God good. I'm scratching my head at this point if I'm Tony, because all I'm trying to do is start with this word of blessing before I get to the question I want to ask. And, and, and if you think about the question, this is a normal question. It's okay to ask this kind of question. I would hope. I would hope we wouldn't respond negatively to our kids who are asking this kind of question. No. I want to respond with generosity and clarity so they know exactly how to respond. I mean, Tony's not like the Pharisees. I mean, Tony's not coming to arrest Jesus. Tony's not asking a question to try to catch him in a discrepancy with the law to try to show that Jesus isn't who he claims to be. Tony just wants to ask a question and wants an answer that a lot of us would like to know the answer to. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. It's the kind of question I would expect Jesus to welcome someone in and say, I'm so glad that you asked this question, Tony. Let me respond and tell you exactly what you need to do. Here's what you need. I mean, it's like a lobbing a softball to Jesus, right? Of all people, this is the best person to ask. Surely he knows the answer. So let me give you number three reason, the third reason to be sympathetic toward Tony uh, this morning. Tony's the only person Jesus asked to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor before following Jesus. In the rest of the Gospels, we don't find Jesus ever making this an expectation for someone who's going to follow him in order to pursue eternal life. And while there are reasons why we might want to defend Jesus' call to ask this of Tony to give up all his things, I don't believe any of us believe that we have to do the same thing that Jesus told Tony to do. As far as I know, none of us uh, believe we have to sell everything and give it to the poor. I've never like snuck up on someone with a question in the baptistry and said, now do you believe Jesus is Lord? Are you ready to make him the Lord of your life? You believe he died and he was buried and resurrected. Are you ready to give up all your things and sell it to the poor? Oh no, I'm sorry, you'll have to wait to be baptized. I mean, we don't respond this way, do we? We don't add this into our list of questions and expectations for people. I feel bad for Tony. Because all he's trying to do is say, good teacher, and he gets reprimanded at that. And then, and then he just asks him a good question, and Jesus doesn't seem to want to give him a straight answer. And then, well, he's in Scripture with not a name, but these attributes that don't lead us to sympathy. There are all kinds of reasons that I feel bad for Tony. So I don't know, how did I do with goal number one? Are you a little more sympathetic with this guy than when we walked in this morning? The ultimate goal of my sermon is, for you to give generally, generously next week to our missions. And next week, Holly and I will be contributing because of several reasons. We believe 
that the mission of Greenville Oaks is a mission worth pursuing, and we love the works that our missionaries are doing across the globe. We will also give because we believe that God has blessed us, not in order to accumulate and secure ourselves, but to be able to bless his kingdom, to pour the blessings we've received out on behalf of others. And we also give because we want people to know the good news about Jesus. We truly want people to come to saving faith in his name. We want people to be baptized, to repent of their sin and turn to the abundant life. We want them to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled with one another. And we believe the works of our mission team and committee and what we're continuing to go and and do in our short-term missions, that it's accomplishing those things. Now, last week, I told you briefly the story of of the Becks in Rwanda, the great work they're doing of reconciliation there. But today, I want to remind you of the great work of Kevin and Lisa Vance in Regina, uh, Saskatchewan in Canada. Kevin was once the president of Western Christian College in Canada, but he left that job and he moved into the inner city in order to work with young people who needed the love of Jesus. Many of these kids are referred to as indigenous or in their country, First Nations people, which are the people we refer to as Native Americans in the United States. The First Nations people in Saskatchewan have undergone great hardship in Canada. Many of the kids that the Vances are reaching out to come from households where there's a lot of alcoholism and abuse because of the pain and the cycles that have been passed on. And I got to visit and see the work that they're doing there a few years ago. And I was amazed by the party that they throw for these kids and the ways that they're reaching out and continuing to grow for the beautification of their doing of their neighborhoods that many of you have been involved in as well. In fact, I want to show a video right now of Kevin telling a little bit of the story of of what they're doing there in Canada. Let's watch this clip. Hi, my name is Kevin Vance. I'm from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, I'm married to Lisa my wife, we've been married 29 years. We have three children, Kelly, Caleb, and Krissa. I am a church planter in North Central Regina, and we have been in partnership with Greenville Oaks now for seven years, going on eight years, uh, working together uh, in the kingdom of God to bring hope and healing into the inner city of Regina. One of the most meaningful parts of my work is working with teenagers. We have uh, uh, a lot of youth come to our church and we we work in north central regina which is an inner city context we have a lot of poverty a lot of crime a lot of addiction a lot of violence um and a lot of suicide as well depression and we work among a lot of indigenous people or you guys would call them native americans part of what really i think is god's work in us through us is is reaching out to the youth that are really struggling with life and purpose and discouraged, depressed, suicidal. So part of what we do is, is help youth that really don't have a lot of a sense of purpose and, and a future understand how much God loves them and what God's plan for their life is and that He wants them to really experience joy and peace in Christ and hope for the future and that life can be different for them. God is doing great work in Canada, uh, in Rwanda, and other places across the globe. We support missions in Belize and Panama and other places as well. Uh, Many of you have been on trips to these places. The people that they are serving, you've gotten to see firsthand. I'm grateful for those of you who've gone and support these missionaries so well with your efforts, with your time, uh, and for uh, getting to tell those stories also to our people as we get to send you on short-term missions. Uh, Beyond the Becks and Vances, there's great work going on throughout the world, and we continue to dream about greater ways that we can expand our mission efforts. And a lot of that depends on the money that we choose to give in this missions offering next week. 
And as I said last week, the theme of our mission's focus is, so will I. One of the reasons we picked that theme this year was because of a song that has blessed uh, several people in our church. You may have heard it over the last couple of years uh, by a band from Hillsong Church in Australia. The song is a beautifully written song that I think expresses a deep theology. Part of the song comes from an understanding of mission that's motivated by the idea that God is the initiator of mission. And whatever God does, we're called to do as his church. We're sent uh, after Jesus, right? God sends Jesus into the world, and God sends the Holy Spirit into the world to enliven his church and encourage us for mission. Then God sends us as his people into the world. And so wherever God sends, that's where we go as well. The song, there's several lines that uh, are inspired, uh, inspired these ideas. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. It's this embodiment that whatever Jesus goes to do, that's what we follow in doing as well. Some people love to uh, complain about the lack of deep theology in some of our more recent songs. And I I think there's probably fair critique for some of that. Uh, Some of those old hymns express some deep theology, and we would do well to remember and continue to sing those. This is one of those songs, it's a newer song, that I think expresses a great deep and depth of theology. I don't believe that critique is fair about this song at all, but there's another part of the song that inspired the sermon this morning. And I thought I could sing it to you, but I thought maybe it'd be better if we just played it this morning. So uh, listen and follow along on the words on the screen with this uh, bridge of, of So Will I. The song is picking up on these parts of creation, right, that are responding in praise to God. And, and, and the, the call is, look, if these uh, creation elements are going to respond to God in this way, then I need to do the same. And this idea, if the rocks cry out in silence, so will I, actually comes from the Gospels, from the words of Jesus when he's talking Uh, in Luke chapter 19. It's in that scene of the triumphal entry. I want to read this to you briefly as I uh, bring our thoughts to uh, our response as the people of God to the mission of God. This is Luke 19 verses 37 through 40. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees can be mad all they want. They can do whatever they want to try to bring power and coerce these crowds not to proclaim Jesus as the king when he enters into the city in this last week of his life. But Jesus says, look, if you were to do all that, if you were to silence all the people through threat, even the rocks would cry out about who I am. Here's the deal when it comes to the mission of God. God's mission is not dependent on our yes to be accomplished. If we choose to opt out, if we say no to the mission of God, if we don't give as generously as we possibly can, we're not going to prohibit God's mission from going on in the world. I don't think we have that kind of power. In fact, there's nothing we can do to keep God's mission from advancing and and his reign from coming on planet earth. That's my belief. But here's what I believe also. God's going to get his will done with, with or without us. And here's what that means for us. I don't want to miss out on the opportunities he invites me to be a part of, to partner and to join him in that mission that's coming to planet Earth. Earlier this year, I preached a series of sermons about technology. 
And the favorite sermon title I've ever had out of probably 500 sermons in the last decade or so uh, came in that series. So I want to say it again because it was that good. It was No Mo FOMO was the title of that sermon. And in that sermon, I talked about the societal phenomenon known as FOMO, which stands for the fear of missing out. Oxford uh, English Dictionary defines FOMO in this way, an anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on a social media website. In that sermon, I encouraged us to keep watch on that fear in our lives. Because app developers know about this fear and they're using it against us. Centuries ago, our survival was dependent on, uh, as an individual within a tribe, and understanding the threats that were there. Our survival as a species hinged on our being aware of the threats that could be around us. And so to be in the know when we roamed around in small groups was critical to survival. To, be, to not be aware of a new food source, for example, meant you literally missed out on something that could be a matter of survival or, or death. So when humans began to create more stable farming communities, being in the know involved paying attention, being in the right place at the right time to get the resources and information in order to engage in the gossip of the day as it filtered through the community. And over time, that gossip moved on from word of mouth to telegram to newspaper to website to apps on our phones. And once a threat was discovered, our body was geared up to respond in one of two ways, fight or flight. Being left out of the information loop, again, was a matter of life and death. Because as they say, when you're running away from a bear, you don't have to be the fastest, but you sure don't want to be the slowest. Our bodies and brains are designed to help us survive in this way. In fact, we actually have a part of our brain that is specialized for sensing when we're being left out. And that specialized part of the brain is part of the limbic system. It's the amygdala. And its job is to detect, to detect whether something could be a threat to our survival. And when we detect that we're outside of the loop, it creates stress and anxiety. So in an attempt to prevent the stress response, some people will redouble their efforts to not miss out on anything, engaging in all kinds of checking behavior to ensure that they're in on the latest news. In February, I made this point that that app developers understand this part of our brains very well. In fact, they monetize this part of us. They use fear and the thought of being left out in order. And so we're always checking our phones because they know how to tap into that ancient fear that no longer is as great of a threat for many of us as it once was. Yes, there are places across the world where that threat is just as real, but sometimes it's used against us in ways we wouldn't expect. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to tap into that fear that I told us not to engage uh, when it's not really a threat. And I want to talk about FOMO because I think it actually impacts the story that Jesus tells about Tony, if we can go back to that guy. I think this is another reason why you should have sympathy for Tony. I, I want you to think about what happened to Tony after he walked away from Jesus sad. The Bible never mentions uh, him again. We we don't get any mention of what happens or where he goes or how long he lives or any response after that. But I want you to think and put yourself in the place of that rich young ruler, in the place of Tony uh, for a moment this morning. I want you to imagine the moment when Tony got the word that this guy that he had said no to dies in Jerusalem and then is raised from the dead. Who knows how many days after, at some point, maybe it was in a Another city in the church is telling this message about the resurrection. At some point, I have to imagine that Tony put two and two together, don't you? 
But the very guy he'd said no to was actually the Messiah, that he was resurrected. The problem for Tony in that moment is he didn't know where the story was going to go. He didn't know what that opportunity would develop into, what he could have become. He could have been named with the apostles perhaps down the road. He could have been a, a missionary that went with Timothy, that went with Paul throughout the Gentile world. He could have been one of his disciples that follow along, but Tony doesn't get named. He gets known by his attributes. See, in the end, Tony made his decision based on a fear of missing out. Tony could have followed Jesus, and and if he'd done that, he would have feared on missing out on the security and joy that comes along with the wealth that he held on to. What could have been if I followed Jesus and gave it all up for him? Or Tony could keep his wealth and fear missing out on what would come with following Jesus. And in the end, he feared losing his wealth more than he feared missing out on the opportunity to go with Jesus wherever he went. And he discovered the truth that I shared a moment ago, that when you say no to Jesus, you don't stop Jesus and his mission. You just miss out on the opportunity to partner with Jesus and his mission. A couple of weeks ago, some of you went to a gas station and you bought a lottery ticket or dozens of lottery tickets. And the reason you did this was because you thought that it was worth maybe risking a few dollars in order for the possibility to earn $1.6 billion. Years ago, you might have been at a church that would have made the case that you were sinful to play the lottery, and I'll spare you that sermon this morning. But here's my question. Do you miss the money that you contributed to to bless some person in South Carolina that won? My guess is the answer is not really. You have a few extra dollars that you can throw away with that thrill and that adrenaline of maybe we'll win the big thing and dreaming about what you may do with it. That's really what that money's going to is that kind of feeling we all like to have from time to time, even with the disappointment that comes after. And next week when you offer, uh, we're going to offer you a chance to, to give to the missions offering. I have no doubt that you all will be generous. Rarely do we set a financial goal in this church that we don't meet because of your generosity. God's got an opportunity for you to join in his mission this next year. That may look like contributing in a generous way to a fund next week that will fund our missions throughout 2019. I hope you'll do that. I know many of you will. Thank you for the generosity that I know many of you have already planned to give. Pray about it. Think about it. And if you're going to give, give even more. It's worth it. Throw away that spare change you won't miss just like the lottery ticket. Some of you will choose to go on a short-term mission next year. I want to encourage you, don't just hope you'll do that. Make plans. Uh, uh, Get your date on the calendar. Uh, Get that flight. Talk to some of our mission leaders. They'd love to tell you more about how you can do that. Some of you will share the good news with a friend and contribute to nonprofits who are doing the work of God in the world. Continue to do that. Bless the mission of God wherever you can. Please do any and all of these things. But regardless of what you choose to do next Sunday, I can assure you of this. Your participation or your lack of will not inhibit the kingdom of God from growing and advancing on planet Earth. The question that I asked you is the same question that Tony, the decision he had to make 2,000 years ago. Do you want in on it? You have an opportunity to go in on God's mission. The question is not will it be accomplished. The question is when you have the opportunity, what do you fear most? running out of resources from the God who's the owner of all things? Or or is it to miss out on the very thing that God's doing to expand his mission in the world? And I hope that fear lands in that category. 
would be the fear of missing out on God's mission. Don't miss out. Participate in whatever ways you can. I encourage you to be generous next Sunday.